My name is Felicia Danani. Hi, and I'm Shivani Malhotra. As two Indian women, one born in the U.S. and one born in India, and both of us from culturally charged backgrounds, we came into our marriages with the intention not to fail. But when we were faced with reality, we had to look inward. Our motive is to deconstruct generational cycles and conditioning around divorce. Divorce is not an ending, but a change in the relationship. It does not have to follow old stigmas. It can be whatever you want it to be based on your intention. This is our life guide to a conscious divorce. Welcome to the Lioness Pride podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Lioness Pride podcast, where we talk about all things related to divorce and especially how we have the power to make this transition smooth and peaceful, as well as the opportunity to transform internally with the right approach. So last week, Felicia and I spoke about how relationships don't end. They just change form. And here today to share her journey with us is my dear friend, Farhana Qasim. I'm so excited to bring her on because she and I have shared our pain, our personal breakthroughs over many cups of chai, tears, and celebrations. She is not only an inspiration for her courage and her authenticity, but she is also a mindfulness coach changing people's lives a children's book author under her pen name Farhana Surya Namaskar, and an amazing mom to her nine-year-old son, Ilian. Hi, sis, and welcome to the conversation. Thank you guys so much for having me here. It's such an honor. And yeah, let's um, dive into it and see where the magic flows. We're so happy to have you here, first of all. And, you know, can you just give us just a little bit of background as to, you know, how long you've been divorced, what that experience was for you and how it kind of evolved over time and how it's changed you, um, you know, in big ways and small. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my journey with divorce started back in 2015 in August and it was one hell of a journey, I'll say that. Um, the entirety of the divorce from like the decision, the separation, and then the finally signing off the decree was a year. So um, we were officially divorced in October, I want to say, of um, 2016. And that year was a nightmare. And I think I'm going to choke up a lot during this podcast. I didn't think it was going to happen already, but I'm I'm choking up as I think back to the journey and where I am today and how I was angry and resentful and afraid and felt really unsafe um, because I was in a city where I had no friends, really. I had no family. I had friends that I had inherited through the marriage. And so um, that was a really confusing place for me. And not having family, I think, was the hardest struggle for me. And just, you know, fast forwarding it to now 2021 and being on this podcast and talking about the journey, um, I just still have to have so much compassion for myself for um, how the journey has unfolded, what I've endured, what I've had to overcome, and in many cases, just the sense of fear of the uncertainty. And, um, you know, as we all know, all three of us on this platform, 
you know, um, divorce comes with a lot of uncertainty because you are letting go of what's familiar. So, um, yeah, just to, just to kind of see that I have had to overcome what I like to call my mommy ego, right? Because the mommy ego, I tell you, uh, she's a very controlling, she's very, um, she feels very strongly and passionately about the fact that she knows what's best for her child. And when sharing custody with um, a person who um, is obviously also in a lot of pain, you're in a lot of pain and there's that power struggle and the battle of the egos is what comes into play immediately. Um, You know, not being there when I felt that I should have been there for my son and just having that opportunity ripped away from you is one of the hardest things, you know, especially when the children are young. Um, My son at the time was four years old. And so, you know, I remember a time that he was sick and I was actually talking to my mom yesterday about it, um, where we literally drove from Dallas to um, a suburb of Dallas and literally parked outside um, my mother-in-law's place um, where my ex-husband was staying at that time and literally was in the car and not even being able to knock on the door and check in on my son, you know, because, um, you know, his father felt that he was, it was him to take care of that situation because, uh, you know, that would have been his week of parenting. And so, um, you know, custody, um, possession schedule and sitting there with my mommy ego fully stuck in the fact that my son is probably crying. He needs his mommy. This man doesn't understand the pain, um, all of that. And to be, and I use this as a metaphor in the sense that there's life circumstances that are basically going to snatch the opportunity that you once became very accustomed to the role. Now, when we're not, we're not actively in possession of our child, um, And, you know, what happens? Who are we then if we're not there? Who are we if they're crying and we don't have access to them? It's the most helpless and hopeless feeling in the world. Um, It's when you realize you have no control of the situation and how to balance the ego at that time where the ego is fighting and making you feel so guilty about not being there. And because you're feeling helpless, then you're very resentful to the other person for exasperating this situation where you are taking my child away from me, Um, you know, but ultimately he's the father, right? You have to also know that, but in the state of the, the, the mommy ego, none of that makes sense. Like there's no other person in the world who can do right by your child is the story you have convinced yourself of. And to battle that and to quiet that voice down of the mommy ego, I think has been one of the most challenging because I think as moms, we have a really hard time surrendering. Yeah. It's, you, and I first want to thank you for being so honest and raw because um, it, it's really, I mean, it's even struck a chord with me where it's so true as mothers, we just to wrap our hands around that there's someone else who can take equally good care of our child is unfathomable. And then when you, you don't have a say in who that person is and how they parent and you don't even get to witness it, that's, that's a deep, um, 
a pain almost at the beginning and then that surrender. And then you realize you have no control over any of it. And that becomes, that just sort of leaves us floundering. So, um, which is a point that's not really discussed. We don't, we don't talk about that often. Um, so thank you for sharing that and, and really allowing us to, um, bring up those, those emotions for ourselves because I think being able, the more we can talk about it and shed light on it gives us a space for us to heal. And, and literally I believe as mothers, as, as the pride that we can stand together and say, we got you, we can do this. They're okay. Um, because in the end that belief system we have, is, is just that, a belief system. It's not the truth. And the more people that love our children, the better. But yeah. it's tough. Man, is that tough. Yeah. So for Hannah, Shivani and I have been um, lucky to be able to transition our marriages and our divorce in a very peaceful way. And have it's not, um, you know, it's not been perfect, but we've had sort of these smooth, peaceful divorces. And I know your ride has not been so smooth. Um, what do you think has prevented this peaceful resolution? Or, you know, it's been a few years. What did you think it was at the beginning? And what have you now realized being several years out and, and kind of being able to look back? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, it's been about seven years, like you're saying, and we have formed a kind of normal um, in terms of the way we communicate, um, which is oftentimes non-communication, non-communication <laughs> is sometimes of communication. Right. And so it's this avoidance. And through the time you know, my ex-husband is now remarried and they have a child. And so, um, you know, his, his wife is very much a part of Elian's life. And, um, you know, I, I think that I have relied very heavily on her with the co-parenting situation because before she was in the picture, the co-parenting situation was extremely difficult. Um, I think what I see from the past um, is two people, myself and my ex-husband, we're both in a place of deep pain, um, you know, and I'll speak for myself, you know, um, as well, not being able to have a conversation across the table from that person and hold space for them, but also have them hold space for you in terms of how painful it has been, how hurtful the experience has been without us getting into a situation of defensiveness um, without us getting into a situation where we're going to throw back what that person did. So, you know, you did this and the other person was like, oh, well, you know, well, you did this. And I think right at the beginning, if we had provided ourselves with that opportunity, to be honest, I don't think that I would have been a safe space for him to open up because I was too deep in my own pain about what I felt he had done to me. Um, and so any, anything that he would have said, I think I would have just lashed back with, yeah, well, what about what you did to me? And there would have been none of that space for, for him to express. Um, over time, um, what has happened, though, 
I have delved very deeply into um, self-awareness and taking accountability for what I contributed to the failure of that relationship. And when I decided to leave, because that was my um, decision, I was the one who filed. Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I realized that even though I made that decision, there were certain things that I had contributed to that relationship that caused a lot of pain. The number one thing that I want to acknowledge is the timing of the decision that I made. Um, and that was right after my father-in-law passed away. It was probably about six weeks after my father-in-law passed away of lung cancer. And so it was like the family was already struggling with the illness and then struggling with the loss. So we were all in very delicate situations. Um, and then all of a sudden there's this time bomb that explodes where, you know, Farhana, lo and behold, has finally decided that um, she's going to exit this marriage. And so truth be told, I don't think there's ever a right time to exit a marriage, right? Um, because it's going to be taken a certain way. But, you know, there was that element of that loss of that physical death of a family member. And then there was the death of the marriage. And so, um, you know, I felt very guilty about it. I felt very um, just, I, I, I judged myself a lot, but I got into a point where there was nothing more that I could bring into this relationship. And so, um, you know, going back to what you were asking, um, you know, I think I kind of tailed off. Um, bring me back, center me. That's okay. So uh, what do you think uh, prevented your situation from being uh, sort of a peaceful separation, which um, many people really that's, that's how divorce is. It's painful and it can get ugly. And there's a lot of words and resentment and things like that. Um, being able to look back on it now, what can you see um, that maybe prevented it from going a certain way? And you did touch on it a little bit, but. Yeah. And, and so I think it was just, when we're really captured in our own state of mind that's full of pain, um, we can't come back and, and recenter ourselves and bring ourselves back into even allowing ourselves to be open to have a conversation because we're going to constantly retaliate. We're going to co constantly come off as being defensive. We're not going to have uh, provide a safe space for that other person to even talk about their that pain. And I think it took me a while to go into retrospect and really consider what my contribution was to that, um, to the failure of that, of the marriage. And now being able to sit and be like, I'm ready for this conversation because I've done a lot of inner work and that inner work required me to kind of look in the mirror at my own shit. And that was ugly. It was really ugly. Um, I had to hold a lot of compassion for myself. Um, I had to provide a safe space for myself. I don't think it's so much about, you know, is this person, when we finally have this conversation, is this person going to provide a safe space for me? They may never provide that space for you, but you have to have it in you to hold compassion and forgiveness for yourself before you go out and expect it from somebody else. So I think, yes, length, like time of um, the, the, the length of time that we've had has been seven years, but I don't think that any earlier would have allow that conversation to really bring out the very best outcome for both of us. 
And so while I resented it, you know, like, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready to have the conversation. It's just not going to happen if the other person isn't ready, if the other person hasn't done their work. And I can't, and I don't think we're in a position to say whether the person has done their work or not. I just have to learn to trust in the divine timing of it unfolding when it does. Do I really so, want it to happen? Yeah. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. So speaking of whether the other person is ready, I, I know that you are ready and you have been ready for some time now. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, from what I, I know, I don't believe that, that Bijan is in that place of being ready. And, um, you know, I, there seems to be um, a way of looking at things that where he's kind of still stuck seven years ago, looking at you through the same lens, whereas you've changed and you've done a lot of growth, like you've said, and you've accepted and, and taken responsibility for a lot of your part. And, you know, I know that's been really frustrating and it can be really frustrating. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with being in that place where you're ready, but he's not, and he's still looking at you through these old lenses? You know, I think I take before I would kind of just blanket statement and predict from this behavior, this encounter that we had today, if there was a conflict, for instance, if there was anything said by him that was offensive or that hurt my ego or whatever, if there was that conflict situation, I would then predict that the next encounter is going to be that very, that very experience. So I'll give you an example. I remember years ago, a friend of mine from Toronto was visiting and I had to go and pick something up from their place or like drop something off or whatever. And like, I was literally like 30 seconds away from their home and I prayed to God and I was like, please just let this be a peaceful encounter. Let's not have any stabs and jabs at each other. Let's have a very peaceful encounter. And um, so I go there and he comes out of the door and we have this interaction. It's totally peaceful. It's totally fine. I think there was a few smiles exchanged between both of us. And then I get back into my vehicle and I start to drive off. And my friend says to me, she goes, you know, she said it like this. She goes, Areva? and I'm like, what? And she goes, wow, like I literally saw you guys smiling at each other. Like it seemed so peaceful. And I immediately said, yeah, well, it's probably because he knew that you were in the car. Somebody was in the car. So he was like on his like on point behavior. And immediately I caught myself and I realized that look, first of all, I had just said a prayer for a peaceful encounter. And now I get a peaceful encounter and I'm judging it. And I'm like, well, maybe it was because of this. You know, it's just that, that inability to accept that moment. And that experience showed me my own judgment and my own projections that if I have an unpeaceful encounter, then I would predict that the next one would be unpeaceful. So going back to what you all, you all are asking is that, through this time, what I've learned to do is just take each experience, each encounter with him, just as is. It could be peaceful and loving, and it's peaceful and loving. And I will have no expectations that the next one should be peaceful and loving. It could be conflicting and horrible and hurtful and jabbing, stabbing. And I will not project that to the next. I have learned if I'm going to teach mindfulness to be awareness of the present moment 
and to accept it and to observe it without judgment, then each situation is going to be taken as a completely different one, like has no connection of the past and no connection with the future, right? I think in each moment, what I have to do is I have to remind myself that I am born new and he is born new. And I never know who I'm going to encounter. And whoever it is that I'm going to encounter, I can't control his behavior. I can only observe my own. And it's a beautiful lesson um, and, and difficult to come across. And that can be in any relationship. I think taking every situation as a new without those expectations is true freedom, right? Like that's, that's what we're all looking for. And um so, yeah, that, that is, that's such a beautiful point that you make. Um, so now for Hannah, for people that are going through a difficult relationship right now, or maybe considering separation or divorce, what's one thing that you would like to tell them or share with them at this moment? You know, first of all, if somebody is in that situation, I just, you know, I just want to honor their, their strength and their courage, you know, because it's not a, easy decision. Staying in a relationship is not when it's difficult and and exiting is not. So, um, but what I would say is really, really important is as soon as you possibly can to begin to slowly shift the mindset that this situation is happening to you. Like it's a situation that's coming, you know, after you Um, to really hold on gently, you know, I'm not telling you to give it a big hug and and believe it right away, but to work as soon as you possibly can on your own healing. Because, you know, the divorce could take two months, it could take six months, it could take over a year. Through the process, your inner work, your healing is so important. And I can't stress that enough. Um, And I can't stress it enough to whether you're a man or a woman, I can't stress it enough, especially if you have children. Mm. Because your relationship is now going to shift from that of husband and wife, and it's going to turn into co-parenting. And co-parenting can be the absolute best thing ever where you discover actually a friend, you know, like you all have to a certain degree, right? Where you can actually co-parent in a healthy way or you can experience a monster. And the only reason why monsters are created is because legitimately, and I don't believe anybody's one pain is, is greater than the other person's, but legitimately you have two people that are going through extreme pain. One may be able to show it overtly and the other person's gonna be like, you know what, I don't care, I'm just gonna move on, you know? But ultimately there's still grief in that. I, I, I don't care what kind of personality you are, Ultimately, you know, there is going to be grief. And so you don't have to do it together. In fact, don't do it together, but go and find some healthy way of processing your grief and admitting to the fact that this sucks and it hurts. And yes, that person's actions have hurt you, but just admit to it. Be okay admitting that we're hurt. Things hurt us. That's okay. But I think a lot of the times, you know, when we're parents, we kind of just put on our masks. You know, we've been wearing masks even before COVID. You know, we've had these conversations all the time is we've been wearing these masks and we continue to wear these masks where we show that we're okay. 
when we're not. And I think that causes the inner conflict and the inner turmoil and then makes us show up as the worst versions of ourselves, you know? Right, that's so true. And I think as, as a society, right, we've been conditioned to put on this brave face. I don't know why. I mean, vulnerability is, is, is not celebrated in our cultures. And I think, you know, that's really sad because people aren't given the opportunity to feel. And feeling is a very human, human way of being. We can't change that. We can't just shut our feelings down. I mean, we can, but then they come up in all sorts of different ways if we don't address them, as you would, you would know and you've pointed out. So that's such a beautiful piece of advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, I just want to add also is through my personal healing journey, right? What I realized, and this kind of still piggybacks um, on that last question, is that what I came to realize, and if, if we can just imagine that I was like, okay, I just came out of a marriage. There's a lot of healing that needs to be done. So let's jump on that bandwagon and let's start healing. And through my process of even my intention of beginning healing, and, and, and this has been a big part of my spiritual journey, I imagined that if you just imagine this long road, okay, and on this long road, there are these vendors, so to speak. There are these vendors, and each vendor is there to like almost sell something, but they're not really, in, in, in the context that I'm saying this, they're not selling something. They're here to show you different chapters of your life. So I'm on this journey to heal. And I'm like, first stop, divorce, right? And God's like, yeah, you know what, Far, Yeah, yeah, this is, this is a place of deep healing. You know, we're, we're going to heal a lot of this. But can you just walk a little further back with me? Just come here. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, hold on, hold on. Okay, well, there, you know, there was this miscarriage. And he's like, yeah, there was this miscarriage. Okay, can you just like walk a little bit back with me? And I'm like, where are we going, right? So like, you know, and then there was this, and then there was this. And if you imagine whatever in your mind's eye, whatever God looks like, and you picture yourself holding hands with God, and you're moving backwards on this journey, and as you walk backwards, Whoever you see yourself to be in present day is actually now getting younger because you're moving backwards, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was like, I'm 37 here. Oh, I'm 35. Oh, I'm 32. Oh, I'm 25. I'm 20. I'm 15. I'm five. And I got taken all the way back. And I said to God, what are we doing here? And God said, Far, this is where we're going to start. And it's amazing because through that journey of healing, as you bring yourself back slowly from age five or whatever it is to present day, the healing is so much more wholesome, so much more whole, so much more complete than just that one chapter of a failed marriage. And I'll tell you, it was, it was, it's been a grind. It has been ugly. It has been messy but it has been so necessary and so healing. And in that, I have been able to really take away the judgment of, oh my gosh, like you love this marriage, you know, right after your father-in-law died and all the shame and all of that, and going all the way and truly understanding what brought you to this point 
And then you have serious compassion for yourself, for your, for your, for your inner child to have come this far and endured all this stuff. And it's just, it's amazing. Like if you can do that and you're, I'm 42, then guys, you know, find a, find your rock stars that are going to um, hold space and help you. I think each teacher comes in your life for a reason and just believe that you're not alone and just be open, be open to heal because it is magnificent. And I think what's so important is that more people are coming to the awareness that healing is required. Our world needs healing. Look at the state of our world and that we're not alone. So we can have these kinds of conversations with, you know, the likes of you, Felicia, and the likes of my sis, Shivani, and, you know, to just be like, yeah, it's been messy for all of us, but we all are working together to do it and we're not alone. And that's what's really beautiful. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. And that it's, it's so true. And having conversations of honesty and emotions is it, and just the realness of this and the realness of what it is now and looking at our past, like, again, that it's liberating. It's hard. And I think you said it, it's a grind and it's not fun. Right. And that's why most people don't do it. But when you go through this and, and who we become at the end is magnificent. And moving into that, um, tell us a little bit for Hannah about how your relationship has, um, your divorce has been for Ilion, your son. So I'm going to kind of do this in a twofold way. Um, how is it affected him as his parents maybe not being able to see eye to eye all the time? And then also, what does it look like now to have someone who has gone on that healing journey? And how do you see him differently and his experience of divorce? Yeah. So, you know, for Ilion, he's nine now and we split up when we were four. So the majority of Ilion's life, he has known that his parents are not together. It's become his norm. Um, How I address it is very important. And so you know, there have been times that we're sitting at the dinner table and everything's fine and we're having a totally okay conversation. And all of a sudden he's like holding clenched fists at me and telling me how this decision that I made has really ruined his life. Mm. And um, that has been difficult to observe because once again, the ego will show up and be like, look, you messed up your kid, you know? And It's a test for me as to how I'm going to explain this to him, that two parents don't need to be together in order to be the very best versions of themselves. The bottom line is Elia needs to know, and he does know that his parents both love him dearly. There isn't a doubt in my mind. I mean, Bijan can parent very differently and does parent very differently to the way I do. But again, I have to squash my mommy ego and say, my way is not the right way necessarily, right? It's just, it's just another way. And so I've had to come to understand that myself first so that I can then share that with Ilion, that it's just another way. Now, you might have certain preferences, 
you know, but I think this is a journey that he's on and he's come to understand and become more accepting of that. Now he does still have the once in a while, you know, I don't want to go to dad's house and that's from my side, but I don't know what goes on on the other side. He may very well be having a great time at dad's place and saying, I don't want to go to mom's place. I can't speak to that, but I can speak to the fact that yes, he does um, sometimes struggle with, I don't want to go. Now our relationship as co-parenting adults has evolved over time. I think when we were both in a deep place of pain, there was less flexibility around working with each other to accommodate what Ilion wanted, maybe an extra time with mom or extra time with dad. Um, there was more of a, you know, it was like, no, it's, this is the schedule. This is a divorce decree. This is what we're going to do. And I would get infuriated with that, especially because I feel like Ilion's young and he wanted mommy time more. Um, but over time, I have to say that there has been an increased amount of flexibility that, you know what, he wants to be with you. That's fine. You know? And so, like I said, taking each as a separate. So if I get my golden nugget and I get to have you with my son one extra night, that's great. Um, You know, if, if all of a sudden there's that rigidity for whatever reason, um, maybe I triggered him or I don't know what, but there's more rigidity you know, of course it irritates me as a mom because my mommy ego is like, this man does not understand the woman, the mom, <laughs> you know? That's <laughs> probably when Shivani will get a call and be like, I just need to vent right now, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> so that does happen. I uh, I don't want to speak in all frills and, frills and bows because um, I am having a human experience and I do feel like, you know, sometimes punching the wall. But um, I... I openly speak about those frustrations with Ilion so that his frustrations are also validated. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be able to validate his emotions. I'm very much a big advocate for allowing children to express their emotions, to express their anger, to express all of that um, so that it's a safe space for them. You know, I, and I think that that's where we differ. I think that, I think that, um, on the other side, maybe I encourage him to, uh, I've been told that I encourage him to express his emotions too much. Um, and we don't talk to him this way in this home. Mm. That's fine. It's not, it's not your way. It's not what you've become accustomed to. Um, it's not the way you're raised. I think a big part is how we were raised. You know, we were like friends with my mom. We expressed very much, um, you know, what our emotions are. And my mom was very open about hers. And so, you know, Ilian is, you know, he's a boy, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we see that, you know, boys aren't very expressive with their emotions. Well, the only reason why they're not expressive with their emotions is because they're taught not to cry like a girl. You know, the mask we live in is a phenomenal documentary where they talk about like language, like, you know, stop crying like a girl or stop being a pussy, you know, that kind of language um, right from a very young age influences boys to think that if we are expressive with our emotions, if we do start crying, then we're weak. Then we are like girls. Then we're, you know, not, we need a man up. So, you know, I tell Ilian, I'm like, it's a fine balance that you're getting between the two households and you have to find that comfy middle ground, you know? Hmm. I've seen you as your, as a mom and you, you've done a phenomenal job for Hannah. Um, you know, I've seen how Ilian's able to express himself and um, communicate 
and speak about his emotions and just the level of conversation and understanding. I think it's so beautiful to watch. And I just wanted to say thank you to you for doing that, you know, for, for creating that in this world, because I think we need more of that and not less. We need more men who are emotionally aware. And yeah, I think what you're doing is just a beautiful service in that regard. So this question, this is our last question and I saved the best for last. So it's a little bit of a hard one, but I'm going to ask you, um, if you had the opportunity to be heard by Bijan, which I know you have wanted, and if he were listening to you right now, what would you want to tell him and what would you want him to know? I think the first thing that I would want to tell him is I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bij. Um, I'm sorry for the pain that my actions caused you. I'm sorry for all the hurtful things that I said to you because my oh my, I said hurtful things to him in our marriage. And um, that I pray and hope that he knows that I love our son and I would do anything in my power to bring him up in a way that is authentic and real and honest and have the very best values that we, I think, as humanity have deep down within us once we allow ourselves to heal. But I also want to thank him. I want to thank him for all that he does for Ilion in, in ways that I didn't notice and, and didn't, I don't think it's so much I didn't notice it, but I didn't acknowledge it. I think I spent more time in my marriage um, things that he wasn't doing that I was expecting him to do. I think my expectations, um, you know, got the better of me. And I have spent the last seven years with that healing and quite frankly, meeting other men who I have really helped me see and bring to the forefront the very beautiful qualities that Bijan has. He is a hardworking man. He has his goals. He has his aspirations. And, you know, there's not a sense of regret that that marriage didn't end, that that marriage ended because I think it was very important. But I hope and pray that we can continue on this journey. He is my lifelong teacher, as I am his. I am, we are both lifelong teachers and students for each other, which is why we have a child together. But, um, you know, I hope that we can continue on this path, um, seeing the very best of each other, bringing out the very best in each other, because ultimately the one most important person who's going to benefit from that is our son. And, you know, of, re of, of late, I would, you know, I, I, I thank him for how he's showing up. Um, there's more good days of communication than not. And so, you know, I hope we can continue to grow and, um, and that, you know, I, I, I love him. I have a deep sense of love for him. And just recognizing that love is such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful emotion. It's such a beautiful experience. And you really don't have to be involved with somebody romantically to experience and to express love. Um, this relationship is teaching me a profound amount of unconditional love, no matter how he shows up and no matter how I show up. And it's in my best interest, in our son's best interest, to just continue to learn and cherish and nurture that love between us. 
So I love it. Farana, that was just beautifully said. Yes, beautiful. You have us all in tears. Um, And I think because I know for me, so much of what you said, I just, it, I felt like they were part of my own words. They were the things that I would say and, and actually have never had the chance to say, even though um, our journeys have been different. And so I think that's why I felt them so deeply. And when you said that our, you know, our exes are really our lifelong teachers um, because we have a child together, I've never heard it put like that, but yet it rings so true, so true in that um, the amount that we get to learn through these experiences, if we're willing, if we're willing to be open, if we're willing to take this hard and arduous journey, um, what is at the end of it? Not only is, you know, the beauty that we get to stand in, but also what we get to share with our children, right? We get to show them a true example of someone living in their truth, in their light, being the best human they can be. Um, and that's all we can ask for in this, this experience. So, and I, and I think showing our children that, because, you know, when Elian would hold up his fists and say, you know, you, you made things really difficult for me. I think as parents, you know, we're constantly trying to show our children that we've got our shit together. And the truth of the matter is, doesn't matter how old you are and how much experience you have, you don't always, you'll not always have it all put together. There's always going to be a situation, circumstance, or person that's going to show up for you. And you're going to have to rethink kind of how you you've carried yourself, what you've believed in, how you've been conditioned, your value systems, it's constantly in flux. And I think for as long as we are here in this physical world, to be open, to admit that, you know what, I made a mistake. You know, I think parents are far too, like put way too much pressure on them to some, themselves to show up a certain way. And when we just simply admit to a mistake that, you know what, I did this, or I lied, or I was dishonest, or I had, you know, ill intention. And to openly say that, and like Shivani was talking about the vulnerability aspect of it, is to show up in that. Our children will also then realize that they don't have to be scared to tell us something. They don't have to go behind our back to do something. You know, like just be honest and we are all flawed and we're all trying to do the very best we can. And sometimes we'll get the wisdom that we really need from our five-year-old, you know? It's, it's true. I think we, um, when we can create that environment where um, we can be real and yes, we can make mistakes and apologize and we can do the, you know, do something way that people don't agree with. And, and that's okay. I also think as parents, I know for myself, you know, we want to protect them from pain and, and things that are bad in the world. And when we do that, we take away their resilience, right? Like that's not realistic. We're all, you know, we're talking about how we've grown so deeply from our pain, So when we take the opportunity to grow away from them, that's their journey. And so I think that takes the guilt away when we can say, this is part of their story. And even though, yes, it hurts. And even though it feels like, um, you know, I've caused you pain, you will see, 
your life will unfold. And stepping back as mothers to be able to do that takes the pressure off. Like you said, Farana, we don't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. And, and find some ease in it. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, so well said. I think, you know, we're, we're getting to that point in humanity where we're all seeking for deeper answers to so many things. I think, you know, from our own personal experiences, just the three of us and, you know, um, Farhana, even your parents uh, did divorce. So with three women here whose parents div- were divorced, you know, and nobody taught us how to navigate that. Nobody taught us how the art of communication in a relationship. Nobody taught us how to be in a relationship. We were never taught, even if our parents thought it was always like, oh, shush, shush, let's go behind the door. Let's close the door. Let the, the kids shouldn't know. But it's like Felicia said, by protecting our kids from the realities of the world, we are not empowering them. Mm-hmm. And the only way we empower them is to give them the tools to face the light and the dark, because that's the world we live in. We live in a dual world, a world of duality. And we can't just show them the rainbows all the time. That's not how the world works. So I'm so glad we're doing this. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. And thank you so much for Hannah for your for being here today, for being so your beautiful self that you always are, just showing up again one more time to make an impact in other people's lives. Um, God bless you. And I we love you so much. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. So anyway, we're going to go into this practice session now that you're going to lead everyone in. So take it away. It's all yours. Okay. So, and I hope you all will join me, Shivani and Felicia. Yes. All right. So just get comfortable in your seats. Rest your hands gently on your lap. Begin to bring your eyes to a gentle close. Bring awareness to the natural flow of your breath. Noticing if your breath is fast or slow. Noticing if your breath is deep or shallow. You do not need to try and change control or alter the experience. Simply allow yourself to observe. For today's meditation, we're going to set the intention to open up our hearts to receive healing so that we can connect and become one with our highest self. Visualize a door that is closed for the moment in your heart center. Imagine yourself walking gently towards this door 
The door seems dark from where you are looking at it. But you can visualize the handle of the door. We all have a beautiful will, a choice that has been divinely granted to us. And at any time that we wish, we can exercise our will and give ourselves permission to finally open this door. Are we ready to reach out and gently touch that handle so that we can begin the journey of healing? Visualize yourself reaching out to the door and gently beginning to open it. As you begin to open it and it cracks open, you notice a beautiful bright light begin to come from that crack. Just with a simple crack, you notice the vibrancy of the light. Notice your curiosity in the moment. As you begin to open the door more, allowing more light to come into the dark space. Continue to open the door You will only open the door for as comfortable as you are. You feel the light bring you a warm sense of comfort and love, a warm sense of protection. Any blocks or fear or anxiety seems to be melting away with the warmth of this light. You begin to take a few steps through the open space now. As you become completely surrounded by this beautiful light, feeling of warmth and love and protection is all around you. So you take your steps forward. Notice the beautiful space that you are in right now. There is no more darkness. There is no more fear. Just a beautiful, wide open space filled with light and colors.
This is your healing space. All that you see around you, all the colors, all the shapes, all the sounds. This is your healing space. A place just for you. Invite a deep inhale through your nose. Exhale slowly and deeply out through your mouth. Become familiar with this space. And know that any time that you wish, when you want to step into the space of healing, when you give yourself permission to be surrounded by this beautiful light, this love, this protection, All you need to do is step toward the door that you have already opened and once again align yourself and be surrounded with this beautiful healing space. At this time, I invite you to bring your attention to the corners of your lips as you curve them into a gentle smile. Smile knowing that you have opened up your heart to healing. Smile knowing that your magnificence has already met you here in this moment. Let's bring our hands together into the prayer pose, resting it at the heart center, still smiling gently. Let's bow down in gratitude for this moment and this permission to heal. Raise your head gently back into the normal level state. Once again, taking a deep inhale through the nose. Exhaling slowly and deeply out through the mouth. And whenever you're ready, you can slowly begin to open your eyes. Wow, Farana, thank you so much for that. That was I'm still kind of um, radiating from that. Um, I had just tears rolling down my face while you were walking us through that. So thank you. Um, and we just greatly appreciate you and your honesty and, and sharing your story today. Because I know not just for myself and Shivani, but for 
everybody out there listening, um, this is how we learn and grow is from each other and from these connections. So thank you for that and for um, honoring us with, with that and your space. So we greatly appreciate you. Um, we want to thank all of you for joining us today. Please share this with any friends that you think would benefit from this and for Anna's story. I think it's truly courageous and remarkable where she's come from and to be able to stand now as a mindfulness coach. Um, we'll also share all of Farana's handles and ways that you can contact her for coaching. Is that correct, Farana? You are a mindfulness coach? Okay. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So we will make sure we share all of that in our comments below. So if you would like to contact Farana or have any questions about your own journey, um, you know, I, I think that that would be a, a beautiful relationship. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. Please join us again. Um, this is really being, it's its a, a journey that we're all walking together. Every episode, we dive a little bit deeper and um, we will continue again next week. We look forward to seeing you guys there. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.